the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT. Hey folks, greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Great to be back again. Um, also joining us today is Paul Brislin. How are you, Paul? No, I'm good, thanks. How are you doing, Paul? Excellent, excellent. Good to uh, catch up again. Um during these uh, these interesting interesting and crazy times, um, yeah, you think that we're things are maybe going to start getting a bit simpler, and um, and then there's a war. So um, yeah, not not yeah. not really the simplest of times, is it? No, no, no. It's always good to be uh, entertained and have lots going on, but I could do with a little bit of a break, uh, maybe a quiet and peaceful life for a little while would be quite nice. But, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So far, so good. Um, so we've got, um, we've got a, a lot going on. Um, maybe you can just remind listeners of where you fit into this big wide world of tech and telecommunications and media. Absolutely. Uh, so I run the telecommunications forum, uh, which is kind of the industry association, uh, for the telco sector, all of the telcos or, or uh, the vast bulk of the telcos belong. Uh, and we do a lot of the code compliance work. So, uh, whenever the government says, you know, things like, well, you must allow number portability or uh, emergency calling has to work uh, with ones who sit down and put together a working party to figure out just how we can make um, uh, Vodafone and Chorus, Spark and Two Degrees all work together and, uh, and, and communicate at a practical level. But we also raise issues. We try to uh, um, uh, get ahead of things that might be a, a problem for the sector. Uh, and and generally um, uh, raise the profile and talk about some of the cool stuff that we're doing because the New Zealand telco sector is a very busy place and there's an awful lot going on and I think uh, a lot of people seem to think it's it's still the way it was in the back in the bad old days you know of the telecom monopoly and uh, uh, a <laughs> lack of um, innovation when uh, you know it, nothing could be further from the truth so yeah it's it's a busy a busy year um, this year and. Uh, certainly a busy time for the sector in general. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, um, before we jump in, I should say, you know, thanks um, to our show partners who, who help keep uh, uh, keep the New Zealand Tech podcast uh, operating. So big thanks to um, Vocus, Vodafone, uh, Spark. Um, so a lot of support from the telecommunications world, um, HP, um, and Gorilla Technology. Um, well, let's let's jump in. Um, for, first up, um, you know, we've, we've heard in the last few days about um, Spark's latest profit announcements, um, and you know they're doing uh, they're doing reasonably well. Their 179 uh, million dollar after tax profit for um, this the six month uh, period through to uh, end of December, uh, which was uh, I think 22 percent increase. Um, on on the same period the uh, the year before and you know you can delve in with all the all the ins and outs on um, um, on that but one of their uh, announcements was this um, establishment of the spark tower Co um, to you know Im improve how they work with with capital and with their uh, more passive um, assets. Is uh, is this something you're you're across, Paul? Because we, we we've heard um, you know Vodafone New Zealand have, have um, you know uh, are doing something somewhat similar, mm. right? Yeah, yeah. So this is uh, looking at all of the cell phone towers, all of the, um, the 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 physical infrastructure that both companies have got, uh, and saying, well, you know, are we really the best place to own and run these networks? Is it a point of difference for us? Can we simply uh, sell it off uh, to a third party who uh, actually specializes in doing this kind of thing. And internationally, this, is, this has happened in uh, a number of countries. Australia has long since given up uh, having separate networks for each of the uh, mobile companies over there. A company called Crown Infrastructure bought up all of the assets and it's going through and rationalizing so that you don't get, you've probably seen them, you know, there'll be one cell site with three towers side by side. Uh, they'll they'll come along and say, well, that's inefficient. We'll reduce the number of towers. We'll just put in one taller tower with three lots of equipment hanging off them. Mm. Uh, and this is this is what both Spark and Vodafone have um, uh, decided separately that uh, is the way forward. Um, I'll be interested to see 
uh, you know, what, what sort of company, if it's a company at all, um, steps up to buy the assets and how they're going to run them. I, I could see uh, Cordia, for example, uh, is uh, a New Zealand telco that used to be called BCL. Uh, and the BCL, the B in BCL was broadcast. It was the company that built all of the towers for the, uh, the radio industry back in the day. And they were a part of TVNZ for a very long time got yeah. spun off in the late 90s into their own entity. But this is their bread and butter, right? This is this is something they do day in, day out. Uh, they design and build towers for the telco sector here and overseas. Uh, and it's something that um, they're very good at doing. So you could see a government entity like Cordia um, make a play and say, okay, well, we'll, we'll, we'll buy the assets and run them for you. Or it could easily be uh, something that you list and float on the stock market. You know, it, time will tell. It is a very money-intensive business. Um, the returns are very uh, razor-thin and take a long time to come through. But I think it means that there is an opportunity with this kind of project to look at where do we have network, uh, but more importantly, where don't we have network? And geographically, um, you know, there's a lot of New Zealand that doesn't have cell phone coverage. We cover, I think the three networks are almost at 99% population coverage. That's um, right. Vodafone, mm -hmm. Spark and Two Degrees. But in terms of geography, uh, as soon as you drive outside of town, you know, you, you rapidly start to see um, uh, coverage drop off because it is a very expensive business to, uh, to put a tower up in the middle of somewhere that may only have, you know, maybe five cars a day go through, maybe maybe 10 people a day visiting, um, you know, that's that's a lot of uh, capital tied up um, in, in a tower that doesn't get a lot of use. So it'll be fascinating to see just which way it goes. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, we you know, we have seen, um, you know, we have seen the, the, the government through Crown Infrastructure, um, you know, investing into, um, you know, helping expand the mobile networks, so the, you know, the, uh, was it the black spot, um, yep. you know, f f funding and mobile black spot funding and, you know, tr investing to reach those places that from a, a you know, simple economics uh, perspective for a telecommunications provider, it may not, you know, may not stack up for them, but from the overall perspective for, you know, New Zealand, for our, yeah. our yeah. people, um, you know, it's we essential. don't want to leave somebody that has yeah. an accident out in the country stuck with a, you know, 100 kilometre walk to, uh, to to get to coverage uh, to, you know, to ask for some help or totally. you know, all yeah. the other scenarios that are, that are there, um, you know, when when we have those uh, we have those challenges. So, yeah, it's yeah. going to be, um, you know, interesting to see how, how that uh, progresses. You know, of course, we've, we've got Chorus and, and the uh, local fibre companies, that uh, that own the you know the fibre infrastructure that has you know has put New Zealand in, in such good stead over um, you know over these periods of uh, yeah, of lockdown. Um, yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, there's a there's uh, um, yeah probably a, you know a lot to be said for the for the for the good sides of it. We do sometimes see um, some of the downsides of. Businesses that that have you know I guess tried to uh, you know maybe make their balance sheets look a little bit better and um, you know sometimes um, the 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 way in which um, chief executives and 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 leaders within an organisation get um, um, you know remunerated can you know there can be these varying sort of incentives and and some of them encourage a, a sort of a shorter term approach. Now I'm not suggesting this is one of those cases, but I was uh, reading recently around how you know automakers have you know got out of doing so many things that they used to be able to uh, do in terms of making their vehicles. Oh no, that's outsourced to there. Oh somebody yeah. else does this, but somebody else does that. Um, and and Tesla have kind of gone this other track of well, we're going to try and do you know as much as we can as possible to, to you know to control their own destiny to be able to innovate and so on, um, and uh, and it you know certainly helped them during during the supply chain and and uh, you know the chip shortage uh, you know types of uh, types of issues. So you know there can sometimes be another side uh, to this, and um, yeah, I'd be interested. To see, you know how they how they navigate this. If if they no longer, you know, own that infrastructure, will it take even 
you know, longer? Does it become harder when something goes wrong? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if it's somebody else's asset that you don't actually have the the control over, unless you've been very very strategic and and smart in terms of how you put that together, which of course our telcos are. So you know, I'm sure they'll get that stuff, um, you know, pretty pretty right. But you know, yeah. it'll be interesting yeah. in a you know maybe a, maybe a, a, a decade's time to. To, to look back and to see, okay, how did it all go, and uh, is it working well? Yeah, yeah. Well, these these you're quite right. That asset ownership is one thing, uh, but owning the intellectual property and the understanding, the strategic understanding of how these assets work, uh, is essential. Uh, and I don't think any of the telcos would let go of that uh, for a third party. I mean, you know, when it comes to quality control and um, uh, providing that that core service to your customers. Uh, they don't want to let anybody else um, uh, get in front of them on that, so they will retain that ownership. I think, but uh, yeah, the, uh, the 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 physical plant, the uh, the towers, it, it could well be a turning point in terms of rollout and deployment, and just how quickly we can get stuff out into the rural sector. Um, you know, uh, it, it'll 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 fall on on the shoulders of one company potentially, or or possibly two, rather than the telcos themselves. So it. Uh, uh, yeah, it'll be very interesting to see just how that works. And of course, um, uh, as we all know, all of the cell phone towers are death rays, and they will um, uh, uh, give you COVID and uh, activate the chemtrails and the nanobots. So you've got all of that madness to deal with. That all becomes somebody else's problem. And I know several people in the industry who will delight be delighted to hand all of that off to somebody else to worry about. You can go to the public sessions and explain that cell phones don't cause cancer. It'll be fine. You've got to do that. Yeah, good good luck with that. I think they will still turn up on the doorsteps of of telcos and uh, and protest and you know with their cell phones um, to take the pictures. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, but these these things are still going to happen. Um, now, I'd, shortly, I want to come to um, hear a little bit about what's happening at, at, at TCF um, or Telecommunications Forum, which which you're the chief executive of. Um, there, there were, a, a, um, I guess, a few devices I've been looking at over the last few days. That have a quick, um, you know, a quick chat through on those before we uh, we we talk TCF. Um, Samsung Galaxy Ultra S S twenty two. That's been interesting to have a little bit of a, a look at and and a play with. Um, I've also been playing around with the um, S twenty one FE, the fan edition. Um, so um, so that's one of the you know the new fairly new um, gadgets as well. And it, it's nice to see these different um, you know price tiers becoming available. So you can actually get some some really you know good tech, high end tech. Um, but by having the, the the different layers, the different pricing, um, it, you know, it makes it more accessible. We're expecting um, the rumor mill suggests anyway um, an announcement from Apple. I think a, a week or so out. Um, where where they might sort of fill that uh, that lower end gap with a uh, apparently the rumours suggest a, a replacement for their now must be about two years old their their uh, iPhone SE um, and that's the product that uh, you know gets them into the, the the lower price points and and gives them access to a um, a broader uh, client base. Um, but you know we see the, the these top companies wanting to uh, wanting to hit the top. Uh, price points and get as you know as much as they can in terms of margin and in terms of you know capabilities and and uh, and features as as well as trying to um, you know go down to to varying sort of lower lower price points. Um, also got to look at the Oppo uh, their new um, flagship phone, the Find X5 uh, Pro, which is um, launching in New Zealand over the next few weeks. That's coming in around uh, two thousand dollars. Uh, very very uh, slick phone, and of course there's there's a you know a range of uh, a range of models as as uh, as usual. So that's kind of their um, uh, their their top price point. But uh, yeah, very very nice uh, looking phone. So you know they're they're really continuing to. Um, you know, do everything they can to attract that attention away from uh, Samsung and uh, um, and Apple and and so on. And you know, we see these announcements have come out of um, Oppo and um, 
um, at least one of the other uh, Chinese smartphone makers saying, hey, we're going after Apple. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out uh, because Apple seemed to be doing stronger than ever in, in, the, in the Chinese market. Um, you know, and, and, and in fact, globally, um, in, in terms of where the, uh, where the profits are, um for for smartphones well um yeah apple's apple still remains very much uh in the in the driver's seat we saw um a report just just come come through uh, in the last few days um global smartphone revenue hitting a record high of uh and this figure is is, is just staggering us dollars 450 billion dollars um last year um and uh yeah apple um you know doing uh doing doing the you know very much um the the best on on the front of uh you know actually uh actually taking the uh the the profits um and even just in terms of total total revenue so um this report came from counterpoint um and what did they have they had um out of that f- uh, 448 billion 196 billion of it uh they accounted to apple um so um that that left the next player uh as uh, samsung uh with 72 so um 72 billion which is which in itself is a, is an astounding number um, but Apple sort of, you know, two and a half, um, more than two and a half times uh, in terms of uh, the revenue there. So, um, yeah, huge amounts of money sloshing around, but uh, most of it's ending up in, uh, in Cupertino, off to California. <laughs> it's amazing how, how large this market is these days, isn't it? I mean, smartphones, not that long ago, 10 years ago, before the iPhone, uh, smartphones were a niche product that um, only the the most um, devoted fan would buy. You know, the Nokia um, uh, smartphone at $1,500 was an absolute outlier. And here you are with, you know, $2,000 for, for an Oppo Find X5. That's astounding. Uh, I don't think my laptop costs that much. You know, it's, it's um, I do wonder if, they, if the, the phone makers are really pricing themselves out of uh, a large chunk of the market. Well, that's why I think why they're coming in with these different tiers, right? So if yeah, you want yeah. if you want the best of the best from a vendor, a lot of storage, a lot of performance, a lot of RAM, you know, incredible cameras, um, you know, night photography that that you probably couldn't get out of your digital SLR, and and yeah, and you know, in totally. some regards, because of the AI, because of the you know the smart stuff that's being done, you know, in software in there, AI chips that are that are in there. Um, yeah, you you pay for it, and they, they, they seem to be doing you know, do I think, um, you know, doing doing pretty well, right? And, yeah, uh, totally. People are buying them, so example of that, yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, so yeah, I you know, like, yeah, those, those numbers are, 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 um, yeah, are pretty, pretty astounding. Um, I would actually like to compare them with what the uh, what the car markets are looking at, so I'll try and uh, I'll try and look that up because I'm, you know, I'm I'm kind of curious because, you know, there, there's there's such different markets in terms of how much you spend, um, but you know, of course, the, the the figure you know gets down to a certain level that people are quite happy to spend that figure over and over and over again, um, and of course, you take your smartphone in the car and and it becomes the important piece of technology kind of uh, wherever you are, isn't it? So um, absolutely. Yeah. Um, also on the um, on the the, the gadget um, front, um, some new laptops coming into the market. Um, Lenovo have just announced their um, first Snapdragon, um, which which is a you know um, um, processor based uh, ThinkPad X13s. And uh, you know, as usual, I, I take these numbers with a grain of salt. But they're talking about a 28-hour battery life uh, in a laptop that's just fractionally over uh, over a kilo. So um, yeah, I'm kind of curious to see see how that will play out compared to uh, what Apple are, are doing with their MacBooks with the M1 uh, chip that have got you know uh, astounding 
um, you know, battery life performance mm-hmm. kind of, you know, combination. Um, but on the Windows side, that's it's it's been a little bit lackluster with what we've seen uh, there in the past. Um, so the X13S has got this new Snapdragon. I hate these names. Snapdragon 8CX Gen 3. Um, and so very prosaic. Sure, if yes. you if you live and breathe these things, um, that might excite you. But um, yeah, the um, anyway, that's the uh, that's that's the current uh, iteration. I guess we have had worse names from, um, you know, from 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 other vendors. But um, anyway, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that one actually plays out. And they're targeting, you know, being a ThinkPad. It's being targeted at businesses which haven't really been heavily. Uh, you know, targeted with, um, you know, the, the, these um, ARM, ARM-based uh, chips rather than the sort of Intel or, or um, you know, AMD. So, yeah, I'm kind of curious how that'll play out. Um, the other device is the new uh, Surface Laptop Studio from Microsoft, which is actually what I'm, I'm um, recording through um, today. And... Look, I'd heard a little bit about this new uh, Surface Laptop Studio and I was a bit, you know, confused with this the strange sort of shape. You've got this, um, you know, it, it looks like a laptop when you sort of look down on it, but then there's kind of this, this piece under the main bit, so it makes it quite fat. Um, but what that allows them to do is to build in some cooling and when you've got an ability to do some cooling, uh, it allows you to put in some real grunt from a, uh, a, a, a processing perspective uh, from, you know, graphics and, um, you know, I guess effectively um, they're, they're, they're sort of referring to it as a, as a real sort of workstation class, um, you know, computer. And so, um, yeah, quite, uh, it'll be quite interesting just to see how it does play out uh, performance wise. Um one of the one of the things that I, you know, that I've mentioned before about issues with the reliability of Microsoft Surface uh, products, and uh, you know they've they've been a little bit hit and miss at times. They've been uh, sitting at the bottom of the ranks um, from a reliability perspective of the the laptop manufacturers. Um, but one of the things that that hurt them was some of the flexibility that they gave you. So with their Surface Book, you could take the screen off turn it around and, you know, um, and then close it so that you had a, a screen on 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 top to uh, scribble on with your stylus. And that was all very good. But when you separated it, you were uh, causing a bit of disconnection with some of the components, namely um, uh, the graphics um, processing, um, your dra- graphics processor and, uh, and some battery. And invariably at times, that would go haywire, and the you know you'd, you'd have issues um, or other disconnect issues where they disconnect when you're using them. Um, so this approach that it is actually you know all one piece, you don't separate anything off, but the screen can fold in such a way you can bring the screen down on the uh, uh, on the laptop by folding it, and then you've kind of got this uh, this in between mode. That is is somewhat reminiscent of Microsoft Surface uh, Studio. So, um, yeah, so far I've been quite impressed. Fourteen point four inch uh, screen, um, starting at about uh, just under twenty seven hundred New Zealand uh, New Zealand dollars, and that's launched, I think, um, either today or, or or yesterday. It's just just launched pretty much. Um, so um, so that one should be out there for the Surface fans. Um, yeah, very, very modern in terms of the graphics processing. The only thing that I find um, a, a little bit odd around the timing is that it's based on Intel 11th gen chip, which is kind of the model chip that was coming out around this time last year. Um, so uh, um, that probably puts Microsoft, uh, you know, uh, competitively a little bit behind the eight ball as we start seeing uh, new laptops from other manufacturers landing with the uh, with the twelfth gen chips, and and their one will be sitting on uh, on last year's model. Um, and I think they've just kind of decided that um, you know they're going to take their own track on that, and um, um, they're not going to you know pay so much uh, attention. It's certainly not the first time uh, they've done that. So um, yeah, but just something to be aware of if you're, you know, very concerned about the numbers and, uh, where do you get in the best bang for your buck? 
right. Uh, let's let's talk uh, let's talk TCF, Paul. Um, okay. <laughs> now, but before we started, we we were having a bit of a, a, a chat around uh, number porting, and mm. um, you know we're we're in this great position. Um, that we didn't didn't used to be on, um, and you can probably remind me, you know, when when this journey started exactly. Uh, but it's very easy to change from one, you know, m- mobile telecommunications provider to another, and your number goes with you. But it wasn't that many years ago. If you wanted to change to another provider, you had to get a new number, and you know yep. all the pain and discomfort uh, that caused. Right. Uh, but on the on the flip side, the times have changed from a, a cybersecurity perspective, and you know bank bank fraud and and so on. Um, so making it so super easy to change uh, from one to another uh, meant that we, we we ended up with uh, people's number being uh, uh, moved away without it actually not necessarily being the owner of the number that was initiated. Yeah, that's, that's right. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's uh, it's probably, gosh, must be a decade. Uh, if not longer now, um, since number portability was introduced, and it's uh, the goal you was must be right because I I yeah. remember it being one of the if I if I if my memory's serving me well, which it, sometimes it does, I <laughs> remember it seemed to be a topic from quite early on after we started New Zealand Tech Podcast right, was this right. this exciting thing you could port port your number, but we take yes. it for granted now. Well, we do, uh, and and you. you uh, even at the time, a lot of people just assumed, of course, you can take your number when you you, yeah. you, you switch. Um, what do you mean you can't? But you remember the old prefixes, uh, 027 uh, and 025 were telecom and 021 was Vodafone. And that was it. There was no way you could possibly ever take your number uh, and use the other provider. Um, largely, that was um, uh, seen as an anti-competitive barrier to switching. Uh, so the, uh, the the commissioner and the TCF worked together and came up with this uh, this number portability scheme, and it means it is very easy to uh, to change numbers to sorry to keep your number when you change providers in New Zealand. It's one of the uh, uh, one of the best forms of sort of um, customer data rights that you'll find in operation around the world. This uh, this ability to take your number, go to another provider, and carry on because as a customer. You, you, it's seamless. There's there's no there's no break. What it does mean though uh, is uh, a number of fraudsters um, uh, have discovered that if they've if they've captured all of your personal information, certainly your banking information, uh, there was this problem that they couldn't transfer a lot of money from your account to their account without you getting a text message alerting you to it, uh, because the banks all jumped on um, two factor authentication a long time ago, so they would. Uh, port your number from your device to their device um, because they had all your personal information. They could convince the uh, the the, uh, the shop or the call center to do this, uh, and your number would suddenly appear on their phone. That meant when they transferred your bank funds around, uh, they could authorize the transaction. So uh, for the last few months, we've been working uh, to introduce an extra step in the, in the porting process to make it a little bit harder. Um, uh, now you have to approve the transfer yourself. So if you are porting your number, you'll get a message saying, hi, this is the telco forum. Um, you, you're porting your number. Please reply yes to proceed. And if you don't, prov- if you don't say yes, if you say anything else, uh, it, it stops the process which means hopefully the fraudsters won't be able to then swap your number out to their phone, talk to your bank about transferring that $100,000 into your bank account, uh, from your bank account into theirs, and then authorize the transaction on, on the phone. It'll, it'll still sit with you. Uh, so you'll have some ability to resist that. And I have to say it's working quite well. We've, we've seen a number of people attempt to port other people's numbers uh, and get blocked uh, as a result of this, um, and people are very concerned. What do you mean somebody's porting my number? I haven't authorized that, and they'll they'll ring their provider and find out just what's going on, which is great. That's exactly what we want. So that's great. Uh, so that's working really well. Does it tell you what provider from to? Does it give you a little bit? You know, a little uh, bit. Of- no, I don't think we do because there's, there are also uh, privacy implications and also competition implications. So. Um, for a long time, uh, we, because of uh, various machinations, you couldn't actually tell a customer who they were porting to. 
which, you know, clearly if, if um, a sane world existed, uh, the lawyers would have said, well, that's ridiculous and sorted that out on day one. But it's taken a while to get there. But uh, uh, yeah, if you ring your telco now and say somebody's trying to port my number and I don't want to go, uh, they will be able to act on your behalf. And, and see right, right. Yeah. Oh, it's interesting. Yeah, because, you know, I'm just thinking of, you know, the scenarios that 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 we get now where, you know, people are tricked into doing different things. Mm. And, you know, somebody, you know, somebody might, you know, figure out which telco you're with or, or you know, they call up and say, hey, it's it's Bob here from this telco. Uh, we've got a special offer for you to move you to a new, you know, a new plan. You will get a text message confirming that your number's being ported, but this is just to put you on the special new plan that I've just offered you, uh, which, of course, is going to be half the price. So when you get that message, you just need to you just need to say yes. Whereas, of course, the more information that's in there that you know says, "Hey, yeah. we're we're moving you from I don't know, let's say you know Spark to Vodafone, Vodafone to Two Degrees, whatever." Um, you know, the more I would imagine, the more sort of extra stuff that's in there, um, you know, probably makes it a little bit harder for for, for people to get uh, uh, scammed. And you so know, we hear of that with money, yeah, with yeah. multi-factor authentication and so on. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's not perfect, and so uh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's, no. it's it's a balance, isn't it, between it is. uh, being a totally secure environment that you can't ever change without providing a lot of detail, or uh, usability and being able to do things on the fly. And and I think uh, providers, you know, banking, telecommunications, whatever kind of service they're providing, they, they're constantly juggling to make sure that mm -hmm. uh, you can access your stuff, but um, there is a, a degree of um, uh, accountability in there as well. I rang my insurance company the other day uh, and I can't access the online app at all. And it says, yes, we've sent you a reset thing to your email address and nothing ever arrives. So I rang them uh, and um, managed to convince them to change the email address that they're going to send it to, to a different account that I've got. Now, I didn't provide them any information that you couldn't find out about me just through Googling. So I'm very concerned that their security protocols are a bit lax. Once I actually get access to my insurance details, I will then be ringing them and saying, this is not on. You should not have given me the ability to do that because yeah. Um, yeah. just because I know my name and my address, that doesn't mean uh, I am the person responsible for that account. You've yeah. got to have more in place than that. Yeah, Often absolutely. these things aren't thought to thought through to the level that they, that they, uh, that they should be. I walked into a, a large, uh, one of the largest, um, you know, building buildings in in New Zealand, um, uh, a few months ago, and um, with with the COVID uh, situation, you weren't just able to, you know, get up to the yeah. floor and so on. They decided, they decided that you, you know, you you they were going to control it differently. So the way they controlled it differently was to have swipe cards at the front desk that you went to. So you went to the front desk and they would give you a swipe card and you could Fabulous. swipe and then you'd just need to return the card when you got down. Now, I don't know, none of that made any sense to me. But anyway, I got the swipe card and then I found it very interesting. Once I got to the floor, I was able to swipe straight in to the um you know the, the company i was i was visiting Fabulous. <laughs> and uh, no that's not quite right and then i tried it on the uh uh you know there were there were there was more than one um you know entity on that floor so i tried yeah. it uh against without entering but i just did the tap uh yeah. you know another a very 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 large uh, international organization that would care about its security and i was yeah. able to tap and get immediate access uh to that one should i have should i be dodgy so uh um so that's not well areas where yeah, security yeah. is as a challenge and um yeah that's just just uh, these things aren't going away, but hopefully over time they uh, they keep getting a bit better. And it, and it sounds hopefully. like uh, TCF is playing their part to uh, to help move things forward. So that's great, Paul. Fingers crossed. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yep. yep. Now there's a new dispute resolution service being um, put together. We're going to hear about that one um, later on this year because yes, TCF yes. plays that important sort of role as the as the go to, uh, a little bit like we have a banking ombudsman and that's so right. on. 
um, or insur- is it insurance, or we've got both? She shy lose track of yeah, all yeah. these things. Um, but but TCF has has that sort of role for the telecommunications world. Yeah, we do. We uh, we have um, the the current scheme is called the Telecommunications Dispute Resolution Service. If you have a problem with your provider. Uh, and you've reached the end of the line and they say, well, there's nothing more that we can do to solve the problem for you, uh, and you're still not happy, you can take it to the dispute resolution service. Uh, And the website is tdr.org.nz. And uh, you can go on through there. You can ring them. They'll guide you through the process. You can uh, sort out the the issue you've got with the provider uh, and hopefully come away with with a a good resolution. Uh, This scheme's been in place for gosh, 14, 15 years, something like that. Uh, times have changed in dispute resolution land. Uh, and, and the standard now is for a totally independent standalone service that is um, arm's length from the industry. So we're just working through what that looks like for the telco sector, um, how we can build a system that uh, stands alone, what kind of uh, terms of reference it should have, what kind of code of conduct it should have. And uh, once we've got all of that assembled and put together, we'll uh, we'll we'll deploy that probably second half of this year at some stage, uh, and that will replace the current scheme. We get a lot of um, uh, kudos for the scheme in New Zealand. It, it works really well. Uh, I think um, customers don't have to pay. You know, if you've got a problem, you can just ring, and it, it is all taken care of. You 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 go through the process. You don't have to to pay to to join uh, or to to lay a complaint. Um, but yeah, it is uh, it is uh, um, a gold-plated service. So we're we're having a, a good look at what we'll keep and what the future looks like, uh, and try and launch that as I say in the second half of the year. So it's a, there's a lot of work going on on that front at the moment. Oh, that's really uh, that's, that's really encouraging. And one of the challenges that a lot of listeners will, will probably hear about they may not have uh, directly encountered it them themselves, but as as uh, can can be the way that um, telco sort of you know communicate different uh, different messages because you know they're, they're heavily driven to beat their competition and you know it's a very very competitive market. Um, I was shared with me recently some communications uh, an individual got recently and uh, you know from a large telco letting them know that uh, the copper's not uh, that's not sticking around for you know forever sort of thing and so their uh, telco was moving them off the uh, their nice uh, seemed to be a, a reasonably stable and fast service uh, onto a, um, a fixed wireless broadband over the over the mobile network um, turned out was going to be a you know a bunch slower and so on um, mm. but there was a ten dollar a month saving so uh, you know it was it was the right thing to do um, and then there was there was what um, you know someone cynical might say was a fair degree of of manipulation in the uh, in the email to convince them that that was absolutely the right track and uh, you know they shouldn't push back and, and not accept this new connection they were going to automatically be moved to um, is that uh, is that you know part of part of what the um, the the TCF is sort of you know plays into in terms of setting some standards around communications. I mean, obviously, not every organisation is going to get everything right all the time because they're yeah. made up of individual people. Not everybody knows everything or, or gets everything right all the time. Yeah, it is it is an area we're we're looking at um, uh, quite closely. The Commerce Commission has challenged us to come up with a, a code for what they call marketing alternate services. And that's uh, exactly what you're talking about. When when we're uh, in the throes of moving uh, an entire population from an old technology of, of copper uh, to the new world order, how do you go about managing that? How do you make sure the customer isn't being moved before um, before the copper is being switched off? How do you make sure that people understand the technology that's being used? Uh, how do we talk about um, speeds and capabilities in a way that's comparable between telcos? Uh, so it's it's a it is a massive body of work. It is um, it's a difficult thing to juggle because you you've got to allow the marketers room to uh, talk about the products and differentiate and say this is a product that would suit you. Uh, so you'll see uh, we're, we're putting in place some guidelines around how you can talk about things like speed, for example, is is an obvious one. Um, what you can do with that plan. I, I don't know if you remember all those years ago, uh, Wish Wireless. 
uh, was on the scene. And Wush used to talk um, about how good, good it'll be for online gaming. Uh, and uh, <laughs> I, I remember getting a set at uh, one of the kid at home. It had a little uh, antennas on a, antenna on a sucker that you'd stick on the window and it would plug into your laptop and away you would go. And it was absolutely awful for online gaming because <laughs> um, when, when the, uh, the, the founder talked about gaming, he was talking about playing Minesweeper or um, <laughs> one of the games on his computer. He didn't know what I was talking about with this. It's great for oh, online gaming. Yeah, like some sort of board game or something. Yeah, yeah, chess, yeah. chess on the computer. And yeah. obviously that's not really terribly accurate and it's quite misleading. So we're trying to uh, allow the, um, uh, the, the telcos enough freedom to market and, and to make it exciting, but also provide um, uh sort of lane guide guidance um to to make sure they're talking about things in the right way and it, it is a it is a, a big body of work because you're quite right we don't want to scare people into moving nobody wants to um force a customer to buy a product that they're then unhappy with because the long-term impacts of that are just outrageous uh and there's no need for it at the moment nobody is being cut off no copper is being pulled out no no connections are being terminated. They won't be moved to from copper to a new technology until that technology is available. So in most areas, that will be fiber. Um, Chorus is, is going to be switching off copper in areas where fiber has reached a certain saturation point. But that's all still to be determined. And it's, um, it is a, 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 so it's a problem, but it's a good problem to have because uh, fiber now in New Zealand is out to gosh, we're, we're fast approaching 87% of the population uh, can access fibre to the home. In Australia, uh, famously, they, they've overspent by 30-odd billion dollars, $30 billion on their fibre deployment, and it's available to about 25 to 28% of the population. The UK, you know, when you're talking about fibre to the home in the UK, they're talking about 30% of the population. Uh, so basically, if you're outside of London, you can forget about it. You're just not getting fibre to the home, uh, whereas we're out to 87% of the population. Uh, and, um, uh, you know, it, it is a tremendous, uh, as you've seen during COVID, it's meant that we could all go home and work from home and carry on uh, regardless without having to worry about lagging and too many people using Zoom all at the same time and all that kind of thing. It's worked exceedingly well. So uh, we want to make the best of that and move people over to fiber as, uh, as quickly as possible. Um, but, you know, there, there are always going to be um, people who don't want to move off copper for whatever reason. They, they think it's fantastic. It does everything they want. Why should I move? And at some point over the next decade, um, they are going to have to make the decision about what technology they're going to use. Uh, and unfortunately, it's getting harder and harder to find the equipment to run a copper network, uh, to find the personnel who are trained on a copper network. You know, they're starting to migrate to other technologies. It will become much more expensive to keep your copper line and ultimately um, for very little value because the fiber networks and the fixed wireless networks offer so much more capability. Um, but we've got to manage that transition, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. If you know, if you if you've got fiber available, then you know my general recommendation is that's the, that's, <laughs> that's your one to go, go go yeah. to it. It doesn't, you know, and and you know, it's not unusual for people to find moving from copper to fiber with a new plan and whatnot that it that it ends up being uh, being you know a, a lower lower cost for them. So yeah, um, yeah. yeah. And I think most listening to the New Zealand Tech Podcast will be familiar. <laughs> Probably with already there. Um, I mean, I, I had we had we had seven adults in the house here with lockdown. Yeah, uh, I was working from home. I had three kids studying. Uh, my in-laws were here. They were on um, Netflix or Disney or watching sport channels or whatever. We saturated the link, and I have the uh, at the time I had a one gig connection, and it didn't skip a beat. It was uh, a lifesaver. It absolutely was because seven adults in a house without entertainment options rapidly becomes a problem. But we didn't have, we didn't, it, as I said, didn't skip a beat. I've upgraded to, um, uh, thanks to Orcon, I'm now sitting at four gigabits per second. The problem I've discovered, of course, is that my switches within the house aren't capable of delivering that. So I've upgraded the connection in the street and my house is still uh, only 
at a thousand megabits a second. I mean, it's science fiction, isn't it? It's just, just incredible. Just yeah, it's Brislin. You need, you need, yeah, to, I know. You need to drop at least ten k on your internal network <laughs> infrastructure. And uh, listen, uh, I've got Cat Six throughout the house, and and I just need the Wi-Fi hotspots to be upgraded, and and then I'm set to go. So if you need to test some some Wi-Fi Six kit, let me know. I'm your man. I can I can. I can take it off your hands, Paul. There you go. Well, the Wi-Fi yeah. 6E now is, uh, I guess, oh. what's, what's starting to come through. Now, um, we we should talk about what's what's been going on, um, you know, in b- between Ukraine and, and and Russia, and and what some of those implications, um, you know, could could be. Um, so there's been, um, you know, a bit of coverage there around how this could, you know, impact. Um, supply chains. We understand Ukraine um, is really the key or the biggest producer um, of neon gas that is used for lasers um, mm. in in um, the chip making chip supply process um, for more than uh, not uh, responsible for more than ninety percent of um, semiconductor-grade uh, neon for the U.S. Um, now, I'm not quite sure that was coming through from Reuters. Uh, we actually know that um, most of the chips aren't made in the U.S., um, but that, that was interesting. And then 35% of um, palladium, um, rare metal that's, that's used um, for semiconductors, that comes out of uh, Russia. So, you know, all of the craziness that's that's going on with this Russian attack on um, Ukraine, you know, not only have we got, you know, people dying and, and, and you know, people's futures are at stake there, but potentially this sort of, you know, global flow on um, to impact what has already been a, a pretty, you know, uh, challenging uh, period as, you know, as far as, uh, um, you know, Chip production and um, uh, you know getting hold of the technology that uh, that a lot of uh, entities need, um, and then we've also been uh, hearing today around um, the what what should be going on to to sanction uh, Russia as far as um, crypto is concerned. Now you you had a little bit of a look at that one. What are your yeah. thoughts on this? It doesn't seem like there's a, these sort of you know necessarily easy answers but um i don't know it, it, it does seem as though but you know we've got um um you know all the sports seem to be boycotting russia um yeah, you know yeah. so many so many countries have put sanctions on there um but the crypto world doesn't uh you know doesn't seem to think that it should should apply to them totally and yeah. um i don't know i'm scratching my head on 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 this one a little bit as to what is the right way to respond? Well, it's a good question. I mean, uh, the, the international banking community uh, operates a, an exchange called SWIFT, which is um, much like the internet, but for financial transactions. Uh, Russia has been cut off from that, which means that it's going to be very difficult for the country to uh, buy stuff from overseas, pay for things. Uh, that all grinds to a halt quite quickly. And we saw the impact on the Russian uh, currency, the ruble. I think it lost 40% of its value overnight, which which really will hurt um, uh, the uh, the oligarchs in particular. Uh, but what apparently is happening is a lot of them are using cryptocurrency to continue to move money around the place to pay for things internationally, uh, and uh, and generally to skirt the, um, uh, the the restrictions that have been put in place. So you've got to wonder whether that is. Um, something that needs to be addressed, whether it is a good thing. Uh, the cryptocurrency boys would tell you that it's this is exactly what it was designed for, so that no country can say, uh, we will stop you from spending your money. Uh, but at a national and an international level, uh, we're not talking about an individual spending money here. We're actually talking about uh, a global community saying, no, actually, what, what you're doing, Russia, is wrong, and you need to, uh, to stop. Um, uh, the invasion straight away and withdraw. Otherwise, we're going to cut you off. Uh, if there's a way around that, it weakens their ability to uh, to uh, affect change in Russia, uh, and it means that quite likely the war and 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 its uh, its atrocities will be prolonged, which is not really a good outcome for anybody, I don't think. So it is. It's a very interesting. It's a. It's really the first time 
the cryptocurrency uh, community has come across this as a, an issue on this scale. Um, do we continue to operate as a, as a, uh, a non-national based currency or do we, um, uh, do we uh, try to help stop the war in, in Ukraine? Yeah, and and you know, there, there's also been the um, the positive use of crypto, where um, you know a, a crowdfunding campaign has raised um, over twenty million US uh, dollars for uh, for Ukraine to uh, uh, you know to help them out through this this time. Mm-hmm. Um, look, yeah, I've, I think it, I think it's probably pretty complex. Um, what what we've seen coming back um, from the the crypto. Uh, exchanges like um, Coinbase. So the, the statement I saw from Coinbase was uh, that they will will not institute a blanket ban on all Coinbase transactions involving Russian uh, addresses, um, but um, but they are you know complying with the um, international sanctions and. Look, I'm not quite sure what that means, but I, I think <laughs> there, there's an aspect where it's actually pretty hard um, for for some of these entities to, um, they you know, they don't have the data around exactly, you know, who owns a particular um, address, right? And so you the the ability for you know say Coinbase to you know to block these things um, would never be you know across the board anyway because that you know that that's part of the nature there is a a level of anonymity um, you know that that tends to come with the blockchain world mm-hmm. um, although that doesn't always you know play out as well as what some people might expect and you know we talked about the uh, the, the, the couple that uh, uh, were trying to launder billions of dollars of funds you know uh, when was that a couple of weeks back um, so uh, yeah there's a there's a there's a lot of um, there is a lot of visibility but the whole uh, the whole picture is not quite there Um so um, yeah, look, I, you know, I think I think it is it is complex, and um, you know, there's maybe some some parallels with the uh, you know the the discussions where countries have have wanted um, you know encryption to be shut down, and it's like, well, it's 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 not quite that simple. Uh, you break a whole lot of stuff when you do. So um, mm. yeah, but we'll we'll leave it at that. There's we could probably go a lot deeper into these things, Paul. Um, but I think we've 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 run our uh, time slot, so. Um, yeah, thank you very much for for joining the New Zealand Tech Podcast this week. Oh, no, thanks for having me. Always happy to chat about uh, all the latest and greatest. So uh, more power to it. Excellent. Well, thanks, everyone, for joining us again on New Zealand Tech Podcast. We will be back again uh, next week. And, of course, you can find us across the, the varying social networks. And, um, you know, if you want to catch the the live streams, they tend to happen uh, on, a, on a Tuesday uh, afternoon around 4 o'clock. Um, across a, a range of places such as Twitter, Facebook, uh, YouTube, um, and uh, and LinkedIn quite commonly. So uh, that's where you want, want to find us uh, if you want to catch it hot off the press. Otherwise, uh, you know, through your usual podcast app uh, a few hours later. All right. Thanks, everyone. Catch you next time. Thanks again, Paul. See you. The New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.